0: Well, so far as we've talked about these nine paths, if you've been with us, you know that we focus primarily on individual people, which I think makes a lot of good sense. Uh, And yet, uh, today we're going to kind of wrestle with the idea that, that maybe these paths could be applied to groups of people. I mean, do they apply also to groups, to families, to organizations, to nations, to entire cultures? I tend to think so. In fact, way back when, over two decades ago, when I was first becoming acquainted with Jocelyn, my wife's family, her extended family, um, I, I began to see just how different families or groups of people can be. Have you had that experience where you just kind of grow up in your family and it just seems normal, it just seems usual, it seems like what families are, and then you encounter something drastically different and you're like, oh, <laughs> I guess not everyone is like this. Even, even families or groups are different. That was my experience uh, meeting jocelyn 's extended family. I was pretty dumbfounded by how different they were than my family uh, for instance um, jocelyn 's family extended family here 's a picture from a couple of years ago. Um, they are extremely close and they live several states apart. none of them live in the same town um, but but all throughout her growing up, several times a year, they would converge together um, on, on the homestead in Valparaiso, Indiana, and, and they'd gather together, and, and, and they just remained so close. I always told Jocelyn that I felt like she and her cousins were as close as most people are with their siblings. They just kind of all grew up together, and they're really involved in each other's lives. Every summer, they all, all the cousins went to the same summer camp, and it was one of those long summer camps where they'd go for six weeks. I actually have a hunch it was a reform school that no one just told the kids about, and they probably all needed it, but they all went, and they loved it, and it was part of their growing up together, and, and again, family reunions, they, I mean, just from all across the country, from, from East Coast to West Coast, people would come home for family reunions, and, and in her family, when, when something good happens, when a baby's born, a, a kid, a grandkid, a great grandkid, when someone has a personal achievement, a success in life, they all celebrate it just as much as if it happened under their own roof. And in fact, to this day, I still say that my mother-in-law knows as much about her sister's grandkids as she does her own, Um, and and just kind of the way it is in their family. And my family, on the other hand, my extended family, is just so different. We're not near as close. On my dad's side of the family, um, we were prone to big blow-ups, You know, these big fantastical explosions during family functions where people wouldn't talk to each other for weeks or months or sometimes even years afterward. Because in my dad's side of the family, principles or opinions or ideals or passions, they were the most important things. On my mom's side of the family, there was also not the same kind of closeness. It was kind of different. Um, On my mom's side of the family, there was just kind of this, this, this legacy of... Of distance or people pulling away, in fact, my great-grandmother, on my mom's side, she was married three times, which is pretty exceptional of someone of that time, and, and she divorced her husbands. They, they, didn't, uh, they didn't pass away. Uh, and in fact, her second husband, her second husband, who is the father of my grandmother, her second husband, uh, she got so frustrated with her marriage that she told him one day that she was going on vacation with a girlfriend, and she went on vacation and never came back. She left him along with their kids. My grandmother, her sister, uh, left him just to fight out life on their own. And and so there's this there's this kind of like weird. We're afraid to get too close to people on my mom's side of the family. And so my family is is just so different than Jocelyn's family. In uh, Jocelyn's family, um, they're called the Adams family, not because they're this, but. That's because it's their last name, their, uh, their last name. And the Adams family, um, they're just kind of a different family. Like, like they have strong ideas about life, strong convictions, strong values. I mean, really a strong family culture. And they have really strong opinions about everything. And if you don't agree with their opinions, you're kind of an idiot, basically, and yet, there's this, there's this oddity in their family where if you don't accept the values, if you don't adhere to the culture, if you don't take on the beliefs or the opinions of the family, and if you are a family member, if you belong to the family, it's sort of like, okay, you're kind of an idiot, but you know, you're family. And it doesn't matter. I've seen people in that family go through all kinds of hardship, legal trouble, drug trouble, marriage trouble, business trouble. I've watched moments where where someone feels cheated by another member of the family, and yet there's just this this prevailing attitude in this family that, hey, if you're family, it doesn't matter. We're going to be in your corner no matter what. We are for you. And what I realize now is that that family culture that Jocelyn grew up in, is probably defined by today's path The path that we're going to talk about today The path of loyalty Now loyalty is a good thing I mean if you have a loyal friend You know there's nothing like loyalty And, and I think loyalty is really close to the, to the One of the highest values in all of scripture And that is unconditional love right? To be loyal to someone to, to love all times no matter what I mean that's, that's really close to unconditional love Which is how God loves us And, and so it's a very high value And yet some of the things that drive us onto the path of loyalty may not always be so noble. Some of us find our ways onto that path, on our our way onto that path, because we value belonging, we value closeness, we value loyalty, we value family. And some of us find our way onto that path for other reasons. I, I think some of the other reasons might sound like this. The internal dialogue of people who find their way onto the path of loyalty might be some things like this. The world is a dangerous place, so be alert and on the lookout for trouble. Or by imagining the worst thing that could possibly happen, you can prepare for it and maybe even ward it off. Or gathering information about all possible threats is the way, the only way to feel safer in life. Or it's difficult to completely trust anything or anyone because there's always room for doubt. Or this gets really close, I think, to loyalty and and why these, these things are connected. In a world like ours, it's vital you know Who you can trust. See, again, some of us find our way into loyalty because it's good, it's noble, because we love to belong. And some of us find our way onto the path of loyalty because we believe it is the best insurance policy against all of the things that we fear. See, fear is often the driver. That puts us onto the path of loyalty. And like everything that we've talked about, every path that we've talked about in the series, whether we've said it explicitly or if it's been implicit, there is a corresponding fear or a, a sin, I should say, that, uh, that relates to the path. These paths are virtuous things, right? Strength, harmony, integrity, service, accomplishment, originality, knowledge, uh, loyalty, adventure. They're, they're all good things. They're things that are embodied in the person and in the being of God himself. So these, these are virtuous things, but what often puts us on that path, what keeps us clinging to that path, what becomes really a prison for us, keeping us stuck on that path, are these driving pet sins or even deadly sins, things like lust or sloth or anger or pride or vanity or envy or avarice or fear or gluttony. I've shared with you a couple of weeks ago my own battle with envy and it took me a while to realize that it's such a driver in my life and now that I see it, I see it everywhere and, and so it's really important to understand not just the virtues of each path but also the, the vice or the struggle or the passion that drives us there and, and I think for people on this path of loyalty more than anything else, it's fear, it's fear. Now, um, before I dive in and talk a little bit more about what this looks like and all the other great things about this path, um, I want to make clear something that that this is a really broad path, this path, probably broader than any other path that we've talked about. Um, I I mistakenly said last week that this path might include up to two-thirds of the population. I was wrong, it's not two-thirds, it's only half, (laughs) Still a lot of people, right? You talk about nine paths and ch- some people estimate that up to half of the population identifies primarily with this path. So that means there's a lot of people walking this path, but it's brought in another way and for another reason. See, if it's, if it's fear that drives us onto this path, then what I think you probably also know is that all of us respond to fear in different ways. In fact, there are three main ways that people respond to fear, we can all be afraid of the same kind of thing, we have the same fear stimulus in our life, but depending on who we are, we respond differently. We, we might freeze, we might run away, we might fight, and because of that, because of those three main categories of response to fear, people who are walking the same path, driven by fear, behaviorally may look different, and so you may not recognize very quickly other people who are actually like you, they're driven by the same things. And they also, no matter how you, uh, how you respond to fear, also have a, uh, a deep value for loyalty, even though it might look different. So um, I, I want to share with you some things that are in common if you're walking this path. On the path of loyalty, you're analytical, hypervigilant, and attuned to possible threats. Um, people on this path, if, if this is your path, you are a natural threat analyst, Right? You see the threats all the time. You see what could go wrong. You plan for worst case scenarios and, and your mind can't shut off. You're always thinking about what could go wrong on a family vacation. So, so you make sure that everything is packed and you have everything you need or, or you know what could go wrong in any circumstance and you're always preparing for it. And so it's not just an idle worry. It's often a worry that drives you to, to prepare like, like the Boy Scouts, right? Be prepared. This is what you do. Um, but also on this path, um, maybe if, if you saw the movie Tangled, um, you kind of live with this viewpoint. Mother Gothel said this to Rapunzel. The outside world is a dangerous place filled with horrible, selfish people. Turns out she was a horrible, selfish person. But um, uh, it's not a spoiler. It's really on, early on. But, I mean, this can become your mantra on this path that, that, that the world is, filled, is a dangerous place filled with horrible, selfish people. And you know what? If you believe that, you're not exactly wrong. <laughs> There are plenty of them out there. Or if you spend a lot of time on this path, biblically, this could be your theme verse. First Peter says, be alert. Be alert. Be vigilant. And of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right? If this is a verse you know, if, if you kind of know Bible verses, if if you're nodding your head right now and go, yeah, true that, chances are this, this path could speak to you. Now, some of us, we don't see life this way, and, and we need help remembering that there is a devil who's prowling around. For, for me, that's one of the last things I think of sometimes. I'm like, oh yeah, I need someone to remind me. For, for you, if this is just kind of an apparent reality, you live life this way and you're always on alert, it's a good sign that this might be your path. Uh, beyond that, on the path of loyalty, you play devil's advocate. So you're, you're aware of the devil prowling around, but sometimes you're devil's advocate. You're contrarian. Often in churches, and churches are filled with people on this path, uh, you are the ones who, when a guy like me gets up front and makes an impassioned plea to do something different, to change, To to try something new To to boldly step out in a courageous new path And you're sitting there going Huh What's this really about And you're looking for the, the other side of the story You're looking for ulterior motives You're asking some questions of Do we really need to change Do we really need to do this differently What happens if and, uh, and, and, and so, you know, you can be the hardest people to convince, and yet, and yet, here's what's fascinating about this, loyalty, that once you're convinced, you may become the biggest advocate, believer, cheerleader, and fan of the direction. It, it just might take you a while to have these questions answered. On the path of loyalty, you're devoted to reason, even while entertaining the improbable. Uh, there is a mistake we sometimes make when we're, when we're talking about you on this path. We assume that you're irrational. Because you're dealing with fear. And um, really what's probably more likely is that. Because you're, you're, you're aware of all of the things that could go wrong. You may be dealing with things that are improbable. Or unlikely. They're not likely to happen. And yet rationally they could happen. Uh, and, and, and I remember this so clearly. Um, when we moved to St. Louis a little over 10 years ago. My daughter who was five at the time. She's a kindergartner. Um, she got kind of. Preoccupied with this idea that someone was gonna come into our house at night and take her. And this was new for us, and, and I thought some of it had to do with the fact that we moved and we moved away from security and it was a new house and it was unfamiliar. And and um and I made the mistake, I made the mistake of approaching her as if this was the silliest idea in the world, right? Trying to reassure her. Honey, that's never going to happen. That can't possibly happen. And I went through this whole list of just like why that was the most ridiculous thing in the world. And this kid at five years old went point by point and gave me rational data-based evidence of why it could happen. And I remember at the end of that thinking, she's right. Like, started locking the doors down and I was like, this, this, this could happen. It's improbable, but it's not irrational. And so, if you walk this path, you're pretty devoted to reason. It's it's not irrational. The stuff could happen, and you actually think that through. It just might be uh, might be improbable. Or on the path of loyalty, uh, you create self fulfilling prophecies. Um, Those of us who walk this path, we are most prone to the to the 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 art of projection or projecting. You know what I mean by that? Like like when you feel something inside, a fear, you have a insecurity. But instead of owning that you project it You put it on someone else So maybe you kind of question Whether you're likable Or you think you're annoying And, and instead of owning that and dealing with that You kind of assume like oh hey that, that person over there I don't, I don't think he likes me He thinks I'm annoying And then because you believe that It changes the way you act toward him And maybe you actually become a little more annoying And, and then he doesn't like you And you say see I knew it I was right all along My intuition is spot on. I knew he didn't like me. But the reality is you created that, right? I mean, you projected that and you created a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we're not careful on this path, in our hypervigilance, we can become very good at this and we can start to make things happen. And, And then we reward ourselves for thinking, yeah, see, see, you're right on. Um, but actually, you created that situation. We're on the path of loyalty. You split the world into good guys and bad guys. There's this danger of splitting, of seeing two camps, the we, they, us, them. And of course, our side is the good side. That side is the bad side. You can villainize other people that you don't understand, whether that's partisanship or it goes all the way to the extreme of of civil wars and genocide. Um, this can get really ugly. It can turn into hate crimes. It, It's the stuff of family feuds, right? Hatfields and McCoys, where where you only can see your tribe, your group as good and the other tribe as bad. We're on the path of loyalty. Uh, I love this about uh, those of you who walk this path. You're belongers. You, You want to belong to things. If it weren't for people on this path, I don't know if we'd have churches. We certainly wouldn't have church members, And we wouldn't have people who probably joined boards or were in scouting organizations or or other clubs or organizations or, or things that were for social good. We wouldn't have joiners. See, a part of this path is, is truly to belong, to be connected, and, and that's for good and bad reasons sometimes, but it's, it's a thing nevertheless, and, and loyalty becomes such a, an important thing in your life when you're on this path. You want to belong, and you want to see loyalty, and so you become preoccupied with loyalty. It becomes a very, very high value for you. Or um, finally, I think on the path of loyalty, you are authority-seeking and rejecting, there's this great push-pull love-hate when it comes to authority. Now, some of us don't think much about authority at all. It's just not really an issue for us. Um, but if you're someone who finds yourself very preoccupied by authority, either either seeking authority, and, and, and the reason we might seek authority is we're looking for someone to help rally us, to bring us together, to, to give us some structure, to give us a sense of belonging, to set the rules for us so that we can, we can belong together. We're looking for someone to bring us together as a tribe of people. We're looking for someone to help us deal with our fears or to help us make plans against the things that, uh, that, that might threaten us. And yet, when it comes to authority, we're always playing devil's advocate. We're always contrarian. There's always this thing in the back of our mind that says, can I really trust you? And so there's this push-pull with authority. We're seeking it. We're rejecting it. You know, we love our pastor, but we don't really trust him. Or we love our elected officials, but we're not really Sure. And so there's this, there's this ongoing issue with, uh, with authority for bad or good on this path. And again, depending on how your fear response is, it, it may look one extreme or the other. But, but here's what I think is interesting. I think often a lot of people who end up being dictators start off on this path. They start off first questioning authority, not feeling comfortable with it, pushing back against it. Other people say, yeah, that's a good point. They rally around, uh, and then that authority is toppled. They find themselves in power and then their mistrust doesn't go away. Their, their insecurity, their, their paranoia doesn't go away. And so then they hold on to their power, even if they started off well intentioned with an iron fist, with, with a demand for loyalty all because of the path of loyalty. Here's the trap on this path. Loyalty is a good thing, but this is where it can trap us. And here it is for us. You'll find whatever you're looking for. On the path of loyalty, you will find whatever you're looking for. And you know, this is just a truism in life. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it. It's called confirmation bias. But it's especially nefarious on this path, the path of loyalty, because if, you, if you're looking for evidence the world is unsafe, you'll find it. And if you're looking for proof that there are threats all around you, you'll find them. And if you're looking for proof that that other group over there, that they don't like you or they are against you or they're a threat to your way of life, if you're looking for it, you'll find it. If you're looking for proof that the only people you can trust are the people who are closest to you, the people with your name or the people of your your stripe or brand or whatever else, you'll find it. And what happens is that in our vigilance, to protect ourselves from the threats of this world, what happens is that we end up seeing even more of the threats that exist around us, and we end up fueling our fear. See fear is not healthy for any of you, any of us, whether you find yourself um, identifying with what i 've talked about today, we all know fear, and, and you know what? God speaks again and again throughout the scriptures about how destructive fear is. He calls us out of fear again and again. Today we're going to look at an example and some powerful teaching that Jesus gives to people like us who occasionally or often find ourselves being afraid. Uh, and it comes in just such a fascinating set of circumstances. Uh, Jesus is gathered with his 12 disciples, I mean his tribe, his, his group, these people have become as close as family. They have left family to join Jesus. And so they are truly a tight-knit, belonging community of people. So Jesus is there with his disciples, his inner ring, and, uh, and they're having a family meal. It's a holiday. And they're together, which is what you do on holidays. They're, uh, they're having a family meal. And in the middle of that family meal, Jesus drops a bombshell about what's about to happen to him in his future that that things are about to go south. Here's what he says, John 13. It says, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and he testified. He told them, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now, again, this is a bombshell in the middle of a family dinner, but, but this word betrayal, this is significant for all of us, but especially those of us who might know this path B- because it's bad enough that the world is dangerous out there that there are threats that exist out there. And Jesus' followers were very well aware that there were a lot of people who did not like them and who were coming against him. It was them against the world. But now Jesus says, hey, the threat is not just out there. There is a threat in the room right now in the family. And everybody freaks out in different ways. Judas, the one who was going to betray him, freaks out and, and he leaves. Peter... He stands up and says, Jesus, we'll never betray you. I'll, I'll fight with you. I'll, you know, right? I'm, I'm the fighter. I'll, we'll die with you, Jesus. Some of the others, they, they just freeze. And in fact, you find out in Scripture that days later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, some of those disciples are still sitting in the same room with the door locked. They didn't go anywhere. They're They're terrified. And Jesus uses this moment. You know, it's like he throws a grenade in the middle of the family dinner and everyone's terrified. And he uses this moment to begin to teach on some really, really important things. And his teaching goes for chapters in John's gospel. Starting John 13, keeps going and going. And then finally in John chapter 16, he speaks some truths to us that I think we need to hear as we wrestle with our fears. John chapter 16, starting at page 1082. Jesus says, all this I have told you all the things that he said before, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. We'll talk about that in a minute. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father, nor have they known me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, not if, but when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you but now I'm going to him who sent me none of you asked me where are you going rather you're filled with grief because I have said these things but very truly I tell you it is for your good that I'm going away unless I go away the advocate will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you so Jesus says you know what this isn't just bad stuff for me that's about to happen bad stuff's gonna happen to you And he says it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When? He says, you're going to be thrown out of the synagogue. Now what's that about? Um, That's like worse than excommunication. It's maybe excommunication three, five hundred years ago. Uh, Maybe it's a little more like being shunned if you're part of an Amish community. Being thrown out of the synagogue is, is losing your entire support structure. It is being... Cast out of society. It's losing your family and friends. It's losing your ability to make a living. No one's doing business with you anymore. It's losing all of your support structures, all of your safety nets. It is catastrophic to be thrown out of the synagogues. And Jesus says, Hey, they're not only coming after me, but they're going to come after you. And it's not a matter of if it is a matter of when. And then he says, not only that, not only are you going to throw you out of the synagogues, but but there will be people who think that when they kill you, that it's it's an act of religious service, that they're doing God a favor. So it's going to get bad here with you soon. And then he says, and I didn't tell you this from the beginning. I'm telling you this now because I go away and I know you're freaked out about me going away. But if I go away, I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And this is a good thing. See, in this speech, Jesus is, is both showing them that, yeah, there, there are lots of things to fear, but he's, but he's also making a promise. He's revealing a threat, and he's making a promise. I ask you, as you heard those words, which did your mind fixate on? The threat or the promise? Probably says something to you about this path or, or where you might walk. It says, then Jesus' disciple said... Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Okay. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to ask anyone questions. You you just know. This makes us believe that you come from God. I love the response. The response is finally you're saying stuff to us clearly. Like when when you walk this path, you don't mind someone hitting you up the head upside the head with truth, do you? You're like, "Hey, give it to me straight." I appreciate the candor here, Jesus. Tell us how bad it's gonna get because if you walk this path, you already run worst case scenarios in your head. And for someone to tell you it's gonna be fine, you know it's not gonna be fine. And so when someone says, hey, all right, all right, you wanna know it's gonna be bad? Here it is, I'm gonna lay it out for you. There's gratitude there. They're saying, okay, thank you. Thank you for finally telling us that it's gonna be bad. We suspected that it would be. Thanks for laying it on us, Jesus. But they're still missing the point. It's not just about how bad it's going to get. Jesus is pointing them to something greater. He says, all right, well, do you now believe just because I can tell you how bad it's going to get? He says, the time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Now, for some of us, this right here, what Jesus is describing, what he will experience is our worst fear. He's saying, right now, we're we're here and we're a family But there's a time coming when I'm going to be in my hour of greatest need and not a one of you is going to be present. You're going to be off hiding in your own homes. You're going to be saving your own neck and I will be all alone. See, I think for so many of us, this is what we fear. We fear facing things in life that are unimaginable. That seem beyond our ability to to handle them or cope with them. Uh, things that are our worst nightmares. We, we fear facing those kinds of things. But, but I think more than that, we fear facing those things all alone. Without a tribe, a family, a, uh, a group of people around us who will support us. And Jesus begins talking about that. He says, hey, this is going to be my reality like, like like your worst fear, I'm about to live that worst fear. They're going to they're gonna beat me and they're going to accuse me and they're going to mock me and they're going to put me to death and I'm going to experience that all alone. Not one of you is going to be with me and, and all of these people are just, you know, their minds are exploding because this is the worst thing imaginable. This is the thing we fear more than anything else, to face hard things tragic things and to do it alone, and yet Jesus is, is kind of baiting them here because they're missing the bigger picture. He says, yet, even then, I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. Do you know today that you are never alone? If you're in Jesus, you are never alone alone. Because the same father who is with Jesus is also, he promises he will also be with you. Jesus is with you. The advocate, the spirit that he talked about earlier is also with you. You're, ne- you're never alone. Even when you're cut off from the tribe, even when you stand alone, when, when, when you don't have the protection of the herd, even when you feel like it's you facing all of your worst fears and it feels like you're doing it alone, you are not alone alone. And here's, here's, I think, the danger of the path of loyalty. Uh, I think the danger is that when we're, when we're surrounded by the tribe or the group or the family, those things can start to be a stand-in for God in our lives. Right? So, so hey, what do I have to worry about? My political party's in charge. My, my people are in charge right now. We're in power, so I've got nothing to fear. Or my, my future's secure because I've got the union leaders and they'll always protect me. Or, you know, we're just going to lock arms faithfully with our other brothers and sisters as a part of a faithful denomination and, and we'll go down fighting together. What are we afraid of? We have each other and at least we get to go down together. Or you don't understand, I've got my family and my family, my family takes care of their own. See, see when you're surrounded by the group, when, when loyalty's your thing and it can be beautiful, I mean, the scriptures talk about how beautiful this can be. All the Ecclesiastes stuff. of Two is better than one. If, if you fall down, someone can help you up and you can keep warm together and, and you can fend off invaders. All of that stuff, it, it can be beautiful, but it can also be a stand-in for God in our lives. So, so instead of seeking security from God, we start to seek security from the people around us. And sometimes, sometimes I know it's frightening, but sometimes the most merciful thing God can do is to cause us to stand alone facing the unimaginable. Apart from the group, cut off from the herd, away from the family. Not as an act of torture or punishment. So that we can discover that we are never actually alone. that that Jesus is always with us, that his Father is with us, The Spirit is with us, and not only are we never alone, but we have one in our corner who has more power and strength and might than we can ever imagine. Jesus goes on and he's bringing it home now. He says, I've told you these things not to freak you out so that in me you may have peace see the answer to peace isn't having an action plan or being prepared for all disaster it's not having a strong group around you who will protect you jesus says the way to peace is is acknowledging the hard realities that exist in the world the things that are coming he's like but the way to peace is is not your plan it's me it's me I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then he brings it home and he says the words that all of us need to commit to heart, to memory, to seal away in our hearts and our minds. He says this He says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Read these words with me now out loud. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, for Jesus, these are not mutually exclusive. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. For those of us who kind of don't want to imagine that bad things ever happen, we just want to be Pollyanna about it, Jesus says, no, no, no that, that's not reality. And I love this. Jesus says, it is a fact of living life in this world that you will have trouble. There will be hardship. There will be tragedy. You will face difficult things, unthinkable things sometimes. Jesus says, yeah, that's true. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. In this world, you will have trouble. You need to know that. But, but, you don't need to be overwhelmed. You don't need to be terrified. You will not be overrun. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, have courage. Do not bow to fear, for I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but you don't need to be afraid, for I have overcome the world. I wonder if you've uh, heard this parable. There was one day a a father and a son, and they were driving along on a nice spring day. It'll be spring soon, I promise, but... They're driving along and, and the windows were open and fresh air was coming in. And, and they're driving along in their car, just the two of them. And, you know, I've been in that situation with my son and it's, it's a nice place to be. And, and they're driving along and then uh, as they're driving along, a, a bee comes flying in the window. And immediately the tone in the car shifts and the son starts freaking out, screaming. Because the son himself had heard a doctor say that he was deathly allergic to bee stings. And, of course, the father knew this, and so he's trying to drive, and, of course, like most dads, he's driving too fast, so he's trying to stop the car and pull over, but he's trying to get the bee out of the car, out of the, out of the window, and he's, he's fanning the bee trying to get it out of the window, and, and the bee is not going, and the son is screaming louder, and, and the father's just watching his son be in terror. So, so the, father, the father then tries to trap the bee, and he traps the bee against the window. And for a moment everything's safe and and the father's trying to move the bee up to get it out the window but the bee escapes and it starts flying around the car again and the son is screaming. And the father turns to the son and says, son, son, it's okay, it's okay. It can't hurt you. And suddenly the son turned from being terrified to now being terrified and hurt terrified and angry, terrified and confused because didn't his dad know all it would take is one sting and his life could be over. What, what on earth do you mean the bee can't hurt you? And by this point, the, the father had pulled the car off the road and uh, he looked at his son and the bee still flying around and, and he opened up his hand and he showed him the welds and the stinger in his own hand. When he couldn't get the bee out of the car, instead, he forced the bee to sting him. And the stinger was right there. Truly, there was nothing the bee could do. Hear the word of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, have courage. Do not bow to fear, for I have overcome the world. Is our world a dangerous place? Yes. And are we stronger together? Yeah. But if we face unthinkable things, and even if we have to face them alone, apart from the herd, left alone, will we be overrun, devoured, trampled? No. Not if we're in Jesus. Because with us in all things is one who has taken the stinger in his own hand. He's taken the sting out of death. But he's also taken the sting out of everything. Every evil this world can throw at us. He's limited its power. It can do its worst, but it cannot harm us really. And even when life has done its worst to us and for some of us that's, that's our story today we, we're, we're coming fresh off some tragedy I think about Marcy's story earlier about what she experienced a few years ago and we see the new stories and we know what can happen, we know what does happen in this world, even then here's what you can know you don't have to be afraid we can face life with courage we will not be overcome because Jesus has overcome for us today we're going to close with a song and it's a song of trust of faith in the middle of a world where, where things aren't always easy, where things are overwhelming where we can become terrified but, but it's not a song about blind trust, it's not a song just saying hey everything's going to be okay or it's a song that is fixated on not the circumstances of our life but the one who stands with us the one who has overcome for our sake please stand up on your feet and let's sing in courage.